you everyone, we're ready to, ready to kick off. Uh, as, uh, and do continue getting sandwiches, there's no problem, uh, but we're ready to kick off, so let's, let's make a start and keep the time. So as you know, over these uh, first weeks in January, we have been looking at um, what we've called Kingdom Values, and uh, that is through the first few chapters in John's Gospel, just seeing how, uh, how much of a difference um, God has made by Jesus coming um, in the flesh. Uh, so we're continuing that today. Um, John 3.16 is the, is the passage that was, went out on the email. Um, probably the, the, the most well-known verse in the Bible, God so loved the world, uh, dot, dot, dot. And um, it just got me thinking because actually last night I was at an event where um, we were learning from the Bible how uh, before the universe was created, uh, there was in fact love. Um, so love has been around for quite a while and of course the reference there was to the Trinity and the relationship within the Trinity. Um, so what a great thought that is and how, how love has been such a, a long-standing and a fundamental aspect to, to the world. Um, so uh, what we'll do is Sam will speak uh, and um, I will pray and Tom will read the passage uh, from John chapter 3. But just before we do that, if I can just give another plug to the one-to-one um, suggestions that we've been making over this past couple of weeks uh, were us uh, on the leadership committee would be very happy to pair up with someone or some of you on a one-to-one uh, just to have a go at doing that just to see what you make of it and how you find it and just to give you a bit of an intro into that um, before you consider doing it with someone maybe from uh, your work situation, some colleague. So I'm going to pass a little sign-up sheet around and maybe through uh, the, the next half hour as we, as we go, uh, if you're interested, and please be a bit interested, do jot down your name and we, we can come back to you on that. So let me pray and then we'll ask Tom to come up and read the passage. Uh, Father God, we do uh, pray your blessing on this meeting this afternoon. Uh, we give thanks for your word and uh, the truth that is contained within it. And we pray that you will help us to listen to you speaking to us uh, as Sam speaks. And we pray that you would speak through Sam and give him the words um, to say. So we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're reading um, from chapter 3, verse 1. So they're in these little booklets, or the blue booklets are the, are the same. So chapter 3, verse 1, reading to 21. Now there's a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, We know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, 
Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so, the, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his deeds have been carried out in God. Thank you very much, uh, guys, for that. Uh, You've got a handout there on your tables, which will be uh, helpful as we're going through. So, uh, Jeff, um, by the way, if anyone needs a pen, uh, there's a pen I'll put it uh, there in case anyone needs it. Um, that's not to write kind of your favourite quotes from the talk necessarily, uh, but if you wanted to sign up for that uh, John one to one thing, you can do that. Um, yeah, Jeff stole slightly my introduction and uh, talking about John three sixteen is the most favourite Bible verse. Uh, uh, it is. It is a pretty obvious introduction, to be fair. Uh, so, but I can actually back up Jeff's assertion with with fact. Um, hands up if you've used the Bible Gateway um, website to kind of look at Bible verses on the internet. Yeah. It's the one that always seems to come up top whenever I'm searching for a Bible reference on, on the internet. And, and so out of all the millions and millions of searches that they uh, have going on on that website, John 3.16 is right at the top. It is the most popular Bible verse, uh, statistically proven by, by Bible Gateway. And I guess for many of us, it is a favorite verse, isn't it? It's a wonderful verse. Um, but I suppose slight, the slight problem of it being such a well-known verse is that we're more likely, I think, to see it on the back of a car whizzing along on the motorway or we're more likely to hear it in a kind of a one-off, maybe evangelistic talk, where somebody's trying to 
explain the good news about Jesus to somebody, and they'll maybe use that verse as a summary of the gospel. But we're maybe less likely to look at it in its context, in the situation that it was first spoken in. And the conversation is, uh, or the context is a conversation uh, that we've just been listening into. There's this man who comes to Jesus, uh, who's wanting to have a conversation with Jesus about uh, what uh, really matters. And at the heart of this conversation, which we began looking at last week and we're continuing today, at the heart of this conversation is the question, how can we be part of the new start, the genuinely new start that Jesus comes to bring? We've seen all kinds of words that, that John, the gospel writer, uses to describe this new start over the past few weeks. Um, he talks about it as eternal life. He talks about it as salvation. Uh, he even doesn't quite use this word, but the idea is one of recreation. Do you remember all the way back at the start of January, we, we looked at the, the miracle where Jesus turns the water into wine, a picture of the kind of restored kingdom that God is going to bring through Jesus, a recreated world. And I guess I've got a summary down here of maybe what this is pointing us towards. Uh, beyond the fragments and fragility of life in this world, John says through Jesus, there is the secure hope of life in all its fullness. That's the genuinely new start that Jesus is coming to offer that we've been looking at the past few weeks. But the question is, how do we then get to be part of that? What will it mean for us to be involved in what Jesus is doing? Well, last week we saw in the first half of this conversation with Nicodemus in verses kind of one through to, uh, through to eight, that we need a new start on the inside. Um, it's important for us to see that Nicodemus is not just any old man. He's not a bad man. He's in fact a very, very good man. Uh, he's described over the page there in page seven as a man of the Pharisees. That was the most orthodox, most strict, most devout sect of the Jews. Uh, he's a ruler. Uh, he's on the kind of the, the governing uh, council of the Jews, the Sanhedrin. Um, and we're told um, today that he is the teacher of Israel, verse 10 on page 8. So he's a really good man, this guy Nicodemus. And he comes to Jesus and he comes to give his judgment, his verdict on who Jesus is. And according to Nicodemus, Jesus is a great man. Have a look at verse 2, the top of page 8. Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. Uh, and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus is a great man. That's Nicodemus's judgment on Jesus. And that's not wrong, is it? Or at least it's not totally wrong. Um, but if, if there was kind of a, a mark scheme for this, this would still be a kind of a failing grade answer. Okay, It's not totally wrong, but it certainly isn't totally right. It's not right enough uh, to, be, to be correct. Uh, because we know, because we've been looking at John's Gospel before Christmas and over the past few weeks, that Jesus is not just a great man. According to the, the writer of this Gospel, Jesus is God in the flesh. And the works that he does are signs of his glory as the eternal word of God. Um, so, not right, Nicodemus, you've got it wrong. And for Jesus, the, the inability of this good man uh, to get the right answer shows that we all, in fact, need a deep inner change if we're going to be part of Jesus' new start. Have a look at verse 3, famous words. Jesus said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
another phrase there for the new start, the kingdom of God, the recreated world where God is at the center of it. Uh, We can't be part of that unless we're born again, unless there's a radical change within us. And as the conversation goes on, it becomes clear that this radical change is something that the Holy Spirit, God, the Holy Spirit, is going to come and do um, as promised in the Old Testament scriptures, bringing change within our hearts. And so Jesus has got a really very shocking message for this good man and for all of us. However impressive our CV or our charitable giving or our church attendance, we all need a spiritual intervention. We need, we need God to work from heaven to change us on the inside. Well, hopefully for you, uh, it raises the question that Nicodemus asks in verse 9. How can these things be? Or, or you could, that maybe, maybe makes it sound as though Nicodemus is totally still disbelieving. I actually think he's maybe starting to pick up what Jesus is saying here. And he's now saying, well, how's this actually going to happen? How, I understand, okay, you're talking about the Old Testament promises. Well, how are they going to be fulfilled that the Holy Spirit comes to give us a new start? And today we're going to see the answer to how these things can happen, how we can have this new start. And we're going to see that we need two further things. So have a look at verse 10 as the conversation continues. Jesus simply cannot believe that Nicodemus doesn't know how this is all going to happen. Are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. Uh, You know, surely, he says, the Old Testament has, has told you this. You're an expert in it. Come on, come on. And then he says, verse 11, truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we've seen, but you do not receive our testimony. Jesus is saying the, the Old Testament points to how this is going to happen. And I've been, I've been here talking to you. I've been in Jerusalem preaching and teaching and bearing witness to who I am. And you just aren't getting it. Um, there's a sense, in fact, uh, that although Jesus has been trying to make this obvious, there is something very difficult to understand um, that Nicodemus just isn't getting. Something that's actually even harder to understand than this idea that we need to be born again. Have a look at verse 12. If I've told you earthly things, Jesus says, and you do not believe, I think talking about this idea of being born again, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? So Jesus is sort of banging his head off a brick wall here, but he lovingly persists. And in the rest of the conversation, he tries to make it as clear as possible. And so that's helpful because hopefully if we're feeling slightly confused, it's going to get clearer, okay? Um, so uh, let's see, how does Jesus try and really dram this into Nicodemus? Verse 13, no one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the son of man. Jesus is saying, look, Nicodemus, I'm not just a great man. I'm a kind of a heavenly man. I'm a man with a heavenly origin. You're getting the hint, Nicodemus? Okay, who comes from heaven? Who's a man who might come from heaven? Um, And the hint, of course, is that we need the Son, God's own Son, to come from heaven. But, let's go back a bit, and again, this is slightly complicated, but it does get clearer. Why is that an answer to Nicodemus' question? Why, when Nicodemus says, how can these things happen, does Jesus say, well, I'm the the, the man who comes from heaven, the man with a heavenly origin? Well, The Old Testament background helps, I think, doesn't it? Um, The Old Testament tells us that um, if we're going to have this radical new start, God is going to send a promised saviour, the Messiah, the Christ, uh, in order to destroy the power of sin, bring healing, 
pour out the Spirit. There's a whole kind of cluster of promises in the Old Testament that all come together. And um, Jesus would have known that Nicodemus, I think, would have known that. So he's saying, Nicodemus says, how is this going to happen? And Jesus says, well, of course, first of all, we need the Messiah to come. We need uh, this, this perfect human being to come. But Jesus is saying, I'm even more than a perfect human being. I'm God himself coming from heaven to be that promised saviour. Okay, now I've said it does get clearer. Here's where Jesus really starts to explain uh, his thinking. And he does it with a famous Old Testament story. So have a look at verse 14. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So this story, again, would have been familiar to Nicodemus. You can imagine him kind of repeating it back to to Jesus as as Jesus kind of references it. Oh, yes, yeah, that's right, Jesus. You know, our fathers rebelled against Moses, uh, the prophet, and against God in the desert. And so God punished the people rightly for this rebellion. He, He sent snakes, poisonous snakes, into their camp. And this infestation of snakes bit people with deadly venom, and they were dying. And Moses obviously couldn't do anything about it. But wonderfully, the Lord had mercy on his people. And he said to Moses, put a bronze snake on top of a pole and lift it up in the middle of the camp. And everyone who looks at this bronze snake hanging on a pole will live. The venom will go from their bodies and they'll be saved. And Jesus says, right. Um, He says, right. And that's uh, what I'm all about. Let's have a look. So how, what's, the, what's, the, what's the kind of meaning behind that story? Well, Jesus says, just as Israel rebelled in the desert, so humanity has rebelled against God. We've turned away from him, all of us. And as a result, we have been punished by God for turning away from him. And as, just like the snakes come into the camp of Israel, so sin has come into our world, biting us with a deadly venom. Uh, and so now all of us have this kind of Uh, this deadly poison running around in our bloodstreams. Sin. It's going to kill us, Jesus says. We're mortally wounded, and there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. Well, this is Jesus again giving us a kind of a, a, a rethinking, isn't he, of how we see our world. I wonder, do we see it as perishing? Do we see it as as infested by sin, mortally wounded, with no hope. I wonder when we go back to our workplaces, will we see our workplaces as, as in that kind of deadly danger? Snakes infesting our workplaces. Sin in everybody's veins. Well, of course, it is very strong, isn't it? It is very negative, because we need to wake up to this reality. But of course, if we think about it, we, can, we do recognise, I think, don't we, that our, our workplaces, our lives are not what they should be. We have this inability to trust each other that's so corrosive. Uh, We've got selfishness and greed taking priority at every turn. Recklessness, willingness to risk other people's health and security and safety and happiness to to get things that we think are going to be beneficial. We could go on and on and on. I think we recognize those things, but perhaps we don't recognize just how deadly they are. But Jesus says, well, we're perishing because of those things. But Jesus says... When Moses lifted up that snake on a pole in the camp, he was actually pointing ahead to the true remedy for sin and death. 
And that is going to be the Son of God coming from heaven to be the perfect human being, to be raised up upon the cross uh, in the likeness of our sin, to be cursed for our sin, uh, just as that snake was lifted up on on a pole. And so he will make it possible for everyone who looks to him to be healed of the venom, the snake bite of sin, and to live. Verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So we need the Son to come from heaven, because we're perishing. And the only way the new life, the restart, is going to come inside of us is if the Son comes from heaven. But you see there also in in verse 16 that there's something we need to do as well, isn't there? So God does something, he sends his son. But what's the thing we need to do? Just have a look from verse 16. Anyone want to shout out? What's the thing we need to do? Believe. Exactly, believe. And Jesus goes on now to talk about that a lot more in the rest of the conversation. So have a look at verse 18. Whoever believes in Jesus in the name of the son is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Now, he's really just saying the same thing as we've seen already. The world is already condemned. It's perishing because of our rebellion against God. But if we believe in the name of the only Son of God, not just a great man, but the one who comes from heaven to save us, then we won't be condemned. We will have life. Now, does that sound obvious? Um, Does that sound easy? You might be thinking, well, if this is so easy, so obvious, why isn't Nicodemus getting it? Why isn't the colleague who sits next to me in the workplace getting it? Why do we have such problems uh, getting this and actually doing it? Well, Jesus, I think, gives us a really insightful answer in the final few verses of this section. Uh, Why doesn't it happen? Verse 19, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works or deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So this is uh, Jesus' own judgment now. And who do you think it's a judgment on? Can you, can you spot who he's talking about here? He's talking about Nicodemus. Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, I'm not just a great man. I am the light. Remember in the opening chapter of John's Gospel, Jesus is called the light, isn't he? He is God himself, the light of God coming into the world. And so Jesus says to Nicodemus, the light has come into the world. He's sitting right before you at this table. And yet... And now it's time to step into the light. It's time to believe in him. We need to come into the light. And Nicodemus sort of does that, doesn't he? Because he comes for a chat with Jesus. He comes to sort of sit around the table with Jesus and talk to him. But did you notice uh, at the start of our reading, you'd have to have eagle eyes to spot it. Look up the page at the top of, I think it's at the top of the page, isn't it? Verse 2. This man came to Jesus by night. Okay, so Nicodemus is coming to the light but he's doing it under the cover of darkness. Why? Because he's a well-known figure and he doesn't want to be known as somebody who's coming to see Jesus. He doesn't want to let that cat out of the bag. 
He's not sure he really wants to trust Jesus with his reputation. It's a bit like Jeremy Corbyn, isn't it? Apparently he did go to see uh, the Prime Minister today, but he didn't go and see her through the number 10 uh, Downing Street through the front door. He saw her in the House of Commons so that there wouldn't be any publicity, okay? No comment on Jeremy Corbyn, of course. Uh, lovely, lovely fella. But, um, but uh, you can sort of see the point, and that's what Nicodemus is doing. He's coming to Jesus in the darkness. And his sort of increasing silence as this conversation goes on sort of suggests he's about to slip away back again uh, into the cover of darkness. Friends, Jesus knows that it is in fact tempting to hide away in the darkness. It's tempting to do that. In fact, it's our natural human response unless God is at work in us. When the light comes into the world, people love darkness instead of the light. Now, we've got to think about this, haven't we? Why is that? Why would we not be drawn into the light? Well, Jesus gives us an answer at the end of verse 19. Do you see it there? People love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. So let's ask Nicodemus. Nicodemus, you know, you saw the signs. You had the Old Testament to guide you. Why weren't you willing to come to Jesus in the daytime and give him the honor he deserves as the wonderful, glorious son of God. Well, I think if Nicodemus was honest, he would say to us, because I was afraid, to be honest with you. I know my heart. I know that there's mess in here, and I don't want to open myself up to a reality that is this big. Because this, this, if Jesus is the son of God, If I open myself up to him, he might have a negative judgment on me. This is something far bigger than I can control, and I don't want to do that. And of course, we've seen this week, we saw it last week, we saw it the week before. Jesus is quite negative on humanity, isn't he? And so a lot of us, I think, sense that. And we think, if I open myself up to Jesus, I'm going to get condemned here. And so I think this is true of many of us. We don't come into the light because we're scared. And so we hide. And so that's why, just as we come to a close, this is why Jesus puts things as bluntly as possible in this section with Nicodemus. Have a look at verse 17. Nicodemus, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Nicodemus, the light isn't here to harm us. God didn't need to send his son to condemn us. That's already happened. We've already rebelled against God. The snakes are running through the camp, biting us. We're already perishing. God has now sent his son simply to save us. So don't hide in the darkness. Don't try to ignore this immense spiritual reality that's come into our world and hope it goes away. Don't kick the can down the road. Because verse 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him might not perish but have eternal life. Jesus is saying that he himself is proof, living proof of the immensity of God's love for this rebellious world. A God who had a limited love for us could have sent a great man. He could have maybe sent an angel to save us. But God so loved us 
that he sent his one and only son. I think the true meaning of John 3.16 is that the more we come into the light, the more we open ourselves up to this immense spiritual reality that the Son of God has come into our world, the more we get to know the eternal love of God, the more we get to know the immensity of the one who has loved us by sending his Son. How deep the Father's love for us, goes the song. How vast beyond all measure that he should give his only Son to make a wretch his treasure. Well, I hope uh, I've fulfilled my promise a little bit and it's become a little bit clearer, this conversation with Nicodemus. If you're puzzled by this or if you're thinking, goodness, this still seems to be very harsh, please keep coming back next week and the next few weeks because we're going to see more conversations on the same topic and we'll see that instead of Nicodemus slipping away into the darkness, there'll be a more positive outcome. (laughs) 